You're listening to the Mission Church Podcast. Each message comes from our Sunday morning gatherings where we worship in community, study God's Word, and grow in our faith together to the glory of Jesus Christ. The Mission Church is committed to helping each person belong and believe and to equip them to embrace the call of God upon their life. We pray these messages will build your faith and encourage you today. Well, let's get into a Bible study, should we? Our first outdoor Bible study. Did you bring your Bibles? Yeah, look at you guys. All the Bibles. Awesome. If you need a Bible, raise your hands. The ushers will, will pass one out to you. And uh, all of you sat in the very, very back today. Next week, you can come forward if you want to, right? It's okay. Um, how's the sound back there? Can you hear okay? Yeah? Really good. Open up your Bibles to Matthew chapter 9. We're making our way through the book of Matthew, a series titled Unexpected Messiah. And we titled the series Unexpected Messiah through the book of Matthew uh, by that name because Jesus was not what any of the Jewish people expected him to be. As a matter of fact, he's not what anyone expected him to be. They expected a king coming in power and glory and setting up and having dominion over all the earth and, and overthrowing Rome. And yet uh, Jesus came very differently. He came humbly and he came to save and he came to show us what life is all about. And he came to go to a cross to take our sins on his back that we might have the forgiveness of sin and the righteousness of Jesus Christ imparted to us as a free gift. What an amazing Savior. No one expected it. And his ministry, much the same. Everything he did was eye-opening and revolutionary. Just incredible to watch. And here's where we're picking up. We pick up with Jesus and the disciples having a good time at a party at Matthew's house. Matthew, his name was Levi. Jesus just called him, said, Levi, I want you to follow me. And Levi does, right? Uh, His life was transformed. Levi was a wealthy man. He was a tax collector. He was a Jew who left his heritage and gave up on religion. Something had made him feel in his heart like this is not for me. Maybe it was the hypocrisy, maybe it was the, the pomp and the show, maybe it was all the, the, the things that he saw that looked disingenuous about it, and he said, I don't want any part of it. And he gave himself headlong into going into the world, into making money, into being powerful, into being successful, and he was a very wealthy man as a uh, Roman tax collector. And the Jews, his own countrymen, disowned him, which only made him distance himself further from the faith. As he becomes a Roman tax collector, all his brothers and sisters in in, in Judaism say, hey, we don't want any part of you. And they'd spit on him as he walked by, and they'd throw curses and insults at him. And he goes, man, if that's religion, I don't want any. And one day Jesus is walking by and he hears Jesus' teaching and he hears his life-giving words and he goes, wow, this is an unexpected Messiah. This is something radically different. And his heart was moved. And Jesus passing by his tax collector booth says, Levi, follow me. 
And he calls him by the name of Matthew. Matthew, gift of God. And Matthew's life is transformed. And now with a transformed life, Matthew says, hey, to all his buddies, I want to have a party. I want you to come over. I want you to meet Jesus. And that's what love does. He was in awe of this Jesus. And he just wanted all his friends to meet him. And so he has this big party. And as he does, you know, they're, they're, they're tax collectors. They're heathens. There's probably drinks flowing. There's probably uh, language. There's probably coarse jesting. There's probably... And Jesus is there having a good time with just the regular people. And it's an awesome thing to see. He's celebrating. He's laughing. He's partying. He's having fun. And uh, Jesus regularly had fun with people. He participated in weddings and dinners in the Feast of Israel. The Feast of Israel were amazing, by the way. Uh, They were often multiple days in a row, and they were like barbecues. You'd bring your offerings, your lamb or whatever, and you'd offer it as an offering to the Lord. And then you'd get to eat that thing on a big barbecue with a whole family. And Jesus enjoyed that social gathering. Again, I hope you come out on Wednesday night. It's just so much fun to be part of a family of God and enjoy each other's fellowship. And Jesus had a good time. And some do not see Jesus this way. Some do not see religion this way. Some see it uh, buttoned up, tight, Starch collars and, uh, you know, like you can't have any fun. Rigid rules, pious rituals, no laughing. And here we see Jesus entirely different. And yet he gets some opposition from those who see it that way. And let's pick up. We're going to be picking up in Matthew chapter 9, verse 14, right where we left off that last week. If you're there, give me a big amen. amen. If you're tracking with me, give me a big amen. All right, let's go. Let's pray as we do. Jesus, we come before you, and before we read your word, we just want to acknowledge that we need your help. Lord, we're sinners, and we need to be saved by your grace and by your mercy. We thank you for dying on the cross to cleanse us of our sin and for filling us with your Holy Spirit. And Lord, it's by your Spirit now that we want to be reading your word. Lord, we ask that you would speak to us and help us to understand you better. Help us to also see ourselves more clearly, that we wouldn't be deceived, but that we would walk with you in spirit and in truth, for we know that you are seeking us to do that very thing. And so we present ourselves to you as one body now, Lord. Speak to your church, for our ears are open. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Verse 14. This big party is going on. Uh, Jesus is at Matthew's house. And look what happens. Verse 14. Then the disciples of John came to him, that's to Jesus, and they said, Why do we and the Pharisees fast often, but your disciples do not fast? What's going on right there? Do you see it? What are they doing? What are they saying? They're saying, Hey, how come you guys can have all this fun how come you can go to parties and how come we're fasting and, and our life stinks and how come you're having so much fun? They think that's not spiritual. 
And look how Jesus answers. Jesus said to them, Can the friends of the bridegroom mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? And what's the obvious answer to that question? No, you don't mourn at a wedding. No, you celebrate at a wedding. He says, but the days will come when the bridegroom will be taken away from them and they will fast. What was he talking about there? His crucifixion. Uh, yeah, they will mourn, but right now it's, it's the bridegroom's here and it's time to, time to party, time to have fun. Uh, my kids, if you know my kids, uh, especially my boys, especially my son Nathan for crying out loud, he is like the life of a party. And uh, I used to always tell my kids, you know, they would really, you know, they would really party. They would really have fun. And uh, didn't drink, didn't smoke, didn't do drugs, any of that kind of stuff. Uh, but they would be, uh, you know, just, they would act like they were drunk, if I can say that. And you know what I used to tell them all the time? Guys, I am so proud of you. After a party or whatever. Guys, I am so proud of you. And they say, why, Dad? I say, because you can have so much fun being sober that everybody looks at you and thinks, oh my gosh, those guys must be high or something. Look how much fun they're having, right? And that's what we should be like as Christians. And here, that's what was going on with Jesus and these guys. And, and, and the, uh, the disciples of John and the Pharisees, the religious leaders come and say, how come you guys are having so much fun? doesn't make any sense. And look what Jesus tells him, verse 16. No one, everybody say no one. No one puts a piece of unshrunk cloth in an old garment. For the patch pulls away the garment and the tear is made worse. Nor do they put new wine in old wineskins. Or else the wineskins break and the wine is spilled. And the wineskins are ruined. Instead, or but, they put new wine in new wineskins and both are preserved. What is Jesus saying here? What is he talking about? Old cloth, new cloth, old wineskins, new wineskins. What's he talking about? Well, he's saying uh, before pre-shrunk cloth, right? Like you wouldn't put a piece of new cloth and a patch and an old pair of jeans or whatever because you'd wash it, the new cloth would shrink and it would tear it. It'd make the pants worse than they were. It would be worse. And in the same way, he talks about the, the wine. Uh, uh, wine, when, you, when they would pour juice into a wine skin, it would begin to ferment. As it fermented, it would get the gases and everything and the wine skin would stretch. And it's part of the fermentation process. And if you put new wine in an old wineskin, there was no room for it to stretch. It was stiff and rigid. And it would burst and your new wine would be lost and your wineskin would be lost. What's he saying? What's he teaching? Well, he's showing us some things about our relationship with him. He's not talking about sowing and he's not talking about wine. The new wine is a picture of Jesus. The new cloth is a picture of Jesus, our new life in Christ. And what he's saying is, you don't add that to the old life. No, 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 no. It's a brand new start completely. And if you just try to add it to the old life, everything will get ruined. And what were John's disciples doing? What were the Pharisees doing? They were seeing how Jesus might fit in to their existing old life. 
And so Jesus uses these parables and he's saying it's not going to work. It's not going to work. John's disciples were very disciplined. John the Baptist we're talking about. John the Baptist himself was very disciplined. Why? Because he was teaching a message. Repent of your sins for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The Messiah is coming. And as a result of that, they were preparing themselves. They were fasting regularly because the Messiah was coming. We want to be ready. But now the Messiah is here. And these guys, there's a big problem. Did you catch it? Did you see it in your text? I hope you saw it. Did you see the problem? What was the big problem that we read? Let me flip back over there. My pages are turning. Look at verse 14. Read with me the first five words, if you will. Read it out loud. What does it say? The disciples of... Of who? What? The disciples of John... That's a big problem. Why are they still disciples of John? Who should they be disciples of now? Of Jesus. Did not John say, he must increase, speaking of Jesus, and I must what? Decrease. Did he not say, I am just the bridegroom, but the the groom himself, excuse me, I am just the, the best man. The groom himself is coming for his bride. And we are to follow him. And the moment that Jesus came onto the stage, the moment that he came as John the Baptist was preaching, John stopped everything right in the middle of the message. And he sees Jesus for the first time. And through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he says, Stop, stop. Behold, the Lamb of God. That takes away the sin of the world. And he put all attention on Jesus. And he said, guys, my ministry's done. Follow him. But something happened here. What happened here? Uh, these guys, they're still disciples of John. And you know what that means? What are they doing? They're trying to add Jesus to what? Their already existing life. Their way of doing things. And it's the reason Jesus brings up these two parables of old wineskins and old cloth. And you can't bring me into your life, into your old life, and without, without having everything be ruined. Super interesting. Think about what he says. He says, he who has, John the Baptist, he told his disciples this. He says, he who has the bride is the bridegroom. I'm only the messenger of the bridegroom. Why then, John's disciples, are you still called John's disciples? Why then, when the groom appeared, when Jesus appeared, did they not go to him? Think about how freaky it would be if you went to a wedding. I was at a wedding yesterday, last night. Shay and Stephanie got married. It was awesome. Uh, members of our church, they met here. They got saved here. It was really cool to watch. Now they went through premarital. And now yesterday they got married. And uh, uh, when you see them, when they come back from their honeymoon, make sure you give them a that a boy and a that a girl. Uh, but anyway, how freaky would it be if you went to a wedding and you watched the dad walk his daughter down the aisle and then say, who gives this woman to marry this man? And the dad says, her mother and I. 
And then the bride walks and leaves her father and walks not to the bridegroom, but to the best man. That'd be a freaky wedding. Something's wrong here. And yet that's exactly what's happening with John's disciples and with the Pharisees. The Messiah is here and they're not following him. And a tragic thing to have happen. Jesus is saying, why are you following me from afar? Why are you still disciples of John? I am the bridegroom. Why aren't you here partying with me? Why aren't you sticking by my side and learning my ways? For my yoke is easy and my burden is life. Excuse me, my burden is light. Uh, Why are you still holding on to the old life? And I wonder how many here in our midst today are doing the same thing with Jesus. We've tried to add Jesus to our life. Kind of like a patch in a garment. Yeah, well, yeah, I got Jesus. Yeah, I mean, I got Jesus a little part of my life. And I go to category for Jesus right here. And we're still living our regular lives. Jesus' instruction is, hey, that's going to be a worse place in the long run. The garment's going to rip. The wineskins are going to break. The new wine's going to be poured out on the floor. You're going to lose everything. That's a dangerous way to go. And that's his message to us. That's what he's speaking to the Disciples of John and to the religious leaders. I've got some good news. No, let me scratch it. I've got some great news and some bad news for you. Which one do you want first? The good news? Yeah? Here's the good news. Jesus' love for you is radical. I want you to say that that sentence with me. Jesus' love for me is radical. Will you say that? Now think on it for a moment. We use that word radical, you know, uh, we, we used to use it anyway. Oh, that's radical. Uh, so don't let the familiarity breed contempt. Think about what the word means. Jesus' love for you is radical. Jesus' love for you is so pure. It is so true. It is so intimate that he wants... of your heart. He wants all of you. He is really in tune with you. His eyes are upon you. He watches you wake. He watches you go through your day. He sees how you run to your phone first thing in the morning instead of running to him. The Bible says that the Holy Spirit dwells in us jealously. What's he jealous over? Our choices. Are you really choosing that again? Are you really choosing? Jesus' love for you is radical. It's radical. He wants 100% of you. I remember when I met my wife. I was 18 years old. I saw her at a department store. And I thought, wow. She looks good. Amazing. I've got to know her. And I walked up to her and I asked her to help me. And she said, no, I'm sorry, I can't. And so I waited. And I finally wore her down and she helped me. And I asked her for her phone number and she gave it to me. And we went out on a date and we've been together ever since. 34 years I celebrated last Sunday, by the way, our anniversary. 
I wasn't fishing for that, but thank you. Uh, but you know what I wanted when I asked my wife to marry me? I wanted all of her. I wanted 100% of her. I didn't want half of her. I didn't want her part-time. I wanted 100% of her. And I wanted us to become one. And we have. My dreams are her dreams. And her dreams are my dreams. And my ministry is her ministry. And us building a family and building a life and serving in a church and building a church. She's teaching the kids right now in kids church. We are one. And that's what real love wants. And the Bible says this. Jesus said this. When he was speaking of real love. He said if you know how to give really good gifts to those you love. If you want real intimacy with those you love. If you being sinful had desire that kind of relationship with those who you love. How much more your heavenly father who is pure. Who is holy. Who is righteous. And so Jesus wants all of our hearts. His love for us is radical. And he cares about amazing things. Have you ever considered this? He cares about your thoughts. Why would anybody care about your thoughts? Unless they really were in love with you. And they wanted your thoughts to be directed towards the things that he thinks are important. And that's what he is looking for here. Uh, I said I have good news and I have bad news for you. Uh, Do you want the bad news? The bad news is the same as the good news. The bad news is Jesus' love for you is what? Radical. It's radical. And you say, well, why is that bad news? Well, because not all of us are wanting that. Frankly, we don't always want it. We don't really want a God who cares about our thoughts and is interested in our thought life. Who cares about my every action in my every day? Who cares not only about what I said on the surface, oh, okay, thank you, but cares about what I said in my heart, you jerk. Right? You ever do it? Yeah, a little nervous laughter out there, yeah. Yeah, we all do that, right? And he says, hey, hey, Dave, what was that you said? What was that you thought? Why were you two-faced? Why did you say, okay, thank you, and then go... Why do you care about that, Jesus? And some of us, well, the bad news is, Jesus' love for us is radical. We don't want it that radical. We'd rather have it be from afar a little bit, right? Frankly, we don't want a God who cares about our thoughts and cares about our heart and wants us to love him with all our heart, with all our mind, with all our strength as the priority of our life. Not real interested in that. No, thank you. Uh, I really don't want that kind of intimacy. I really don't want to be married to Jesus. I would just kind of like to go on a date with Jesus every now and then, right? As a matter of fact, uh, I don't really want that kind of close, intimate relationship. I don't want a God like that. I want a God who only gets involved when big problems come. God, I tell you what, don't call me. I'll call you. If the plane's crashing or I get cancer, then I want you there for me. Otherwise, just kind of keep your distance. Now, I know we would never say those words with our lips, 
But how many of us, we have a compartment for God. And what God is telling these uh, disciples of John is, hey, no compartments for me. You can't add me to your life. I'm not a patch you put in your life. I'm not something you add to your life. Everything will be ruined. I think that's going to happen a bunch. What we want is more of a distant relationship with Jesus. We don't want to be really super intimate with Jesus. And do you know what that is? That's a dysfunctional relationship. In marriage, I see some dysfunctional marriages sometimes. It's like they're both living in the same house. They might even be both sleeping in the same bed. But there's no intimacy of life. There's no deep knowledge of each other. There's no shared vision. There's no shared dreams. There's no shared intimacy. There's just roommates called husbands and wives. And you know what that is? That's dysfunctional. And God will not participate in a dysfunctional marriage with us. Your spouse might, but God won't. And he wants that kind of intimacy with us. And I tell you what, life with God is actually amazing. Some have the wrong idea of God. It's like, hey, why are you partying? I thought, you know, I thought life with God was difficult. No, life with God is amazing. His plans for us are amazing. If we only knew In Jeremiah, it tells us a familiar verse. We all know it. I know the plans that I have for you, says the Lord. They're thoughts of good and not of evil. To give you a future and a hope. Oh, if you only knew the plans I had for you. Then you would call upon me and you would go and pray to me. And I would listen to you. And you would seek me and you would find me when you search for me with all of your heart. Jeremiah 29, 11 through 12 or 13 or whatever it is. Uh, we'd have an intimate relationship, Jesus saying. Uh, we would be close, right? I mean, that's what he wants. Life with him is amazing. Uh, think about how God loves you. First of all, he created you. And he gave you your giftings and your talents. You are amazing at some of the things you can do. I watched a lot of you serve this week in amazing ways. There were some of you that came and served and you just blew me away. We had this stage built and the guy who built it, uh, I really messed up. I first put the stage over there and the ground is so crooked over there that the stage was like two feet on this side and four feet on this side to be level. And then we got the tents up, and I'm like, ooh, that was a mistake. I said, can we move the stage over here? He goes, are you kidding me? And so he, he, he built it as a volunteer. And he came over, and without even complaining or whimpering, comes and builds it over here. Just amazing. And you know what I thought? Lord, the way you gifted him, it's so awesome. Lorenzo, our sound man, he's put probably 70 hours in this week. I'm not exaggerating. 70 hours every single day working with you. I I, I marvel at that kind of gifting. And you know what? God built you with all the gifting that you have. You know what he also gave you? He gave you some liabilities. Some weaknesses. 
to keep you humble so that you don't think you're so amazing, to make you know who you really are, that you need a Savior. You're not God. You're messed up. You're really messed up. And you know it. But he gave you both. He gave you some amazing things. And together, he says, oh, I'm working together in those things. And I can overcome your sin because here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to become a man so that I can walk among you and I can show you my love. And God left his glory and became a man. And he taught us. His name was Jesus. And then he says, after I teach you, I'm going to go to a cross and I'm going to take all of your sin upon my shoulders and I'm going to die for you so that all your sin can be forgiven freely. That's amazing love. And I'm going to resurrect from the grave on the third day and I'm going to show up physically and bodily, not for my sake, for your sake, that you can see me, that I really did rise from the dead, that I really am who I said I was. Jesus' resurrection wasn't for his sake, it was for your sake. And we have millions of martyrs who would not recant because they saw him and they gave their lives for him. It was real. And he did all this for this reason that you might know. Oh, what manner of love God has for you. For God so loved the world, right? That he gave his only son, his only begotten. He became a man that whosoever would believe in him. Wouldn't perish, but have everlasting life. Okay, that's the gospel. What about it? Here's what about it. That love ought to move you. That's radical love. And he says, this is what I hope. This is what I desire. This is my design. I gave you an incredible mind to comprehend all of these things. I want you to think about it. And I want you to go, wow, your love's amazing. I want to know a God like that. If that's how God loves me, I want to know it. I want to walk with him. And when we do, life gets amazing. His commandments are not uh, joy killers. Why are you and the disciples having fun and our life sucks? We're religious. Wrong idea of God. Sorry. Not who I am. Sorry. You're following something else. You're not following me. No, Jesus' life brings joy. His commandments are not to take away our fun. They're to give us a blessed life. God has wonderful things for us to enjoy. Just think about some of the things we enjoy. Sleeping. How many of you enjoy sleeping? Oh, amazing, man. Give me a nap whenever I can get one. Amazing. Love sleeping. Think how good it is when you're tired. You invented that. That's God's design for you. Eating. How many of you like eating? Oh, man, in two weeks, we're going to have a giant barbecue on our summer night. It's going to be so much fun. I can't wait. Lloyd's grilling up these ribs. Oh, my goodness. It's going to be amazing. Love eating. Nice plate of sushi. Nice steak on the barbecue. Love eating. Think about the things God's done for us. Sleeping, eating, playing, family, surfing, making love, praying, working, uh, being successful in what you do. All of these things are gifts from God. His ways are good. His love for you is incredible. And we should have a fun time in our walk with God. We should enjoy it. That's what he designed. I have a verse for you on your screen that I'd like you to read. Psalm 16. Verse 11. Look at this. Let me hear you read this. Just out of curiosity, in the back, can you guys read that verse? Tim, raise your hand if you can read that verse back there. Yeah? All right. I want to hear all you guys really loud. Let me hear you read this. You will show me the path of life. 
in your presence is fullness of joy, and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Wow! You will show me the path of life. How will he do that? How will he show us the path of life? Well, you have to meditate, and you have to get enlightenment, and then maybe if you're one of the elect ones, if you climb on your knees up the mountain of Tibet and spend a week in, in cow dung, maybe he'll show you the path of life. No, 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 no. How does he show us the path of life? Yeah, hold it up. That's how he does it. It's right here. This is the path of life. And his commandments are not burdensome, but they're our delight. They give us life. You know why I have 34 years of marriage? Because I followed what he says. And I have an stinking amazing marriage. It's not perfect, but it's amazing. And I absolutely love it. His, his ways are, are great. Uh, I hope that we see that, right? I hope that we see it. You know, I watched Shay and Stephanie get married yesterday. And I just thought, Lord, your ways are so good. You took them out of the world and the party lifestyle and everything else. And they had to battle getting away from that. And learning how to not get high all the time. And boy meets girl. They fall in love. They meet Jesus. Their life changes. She walks down the aisle. A father who raised her and loved her. Tears coming down his eyes. He gives her away. A man takes her. They have a honeymoon. Now they're on it. They're starting a new life together. You know what that is? That's amazing. That's fairy tale stuff. And that's God's design. How good are his ways? Right? And that's what the psalmist is trying to say. Lord, your ways are so good. But in order for all that to happen, we have to know this. Jesus seeks wholehearted relationships. You won't have that kind of marriage if you're in a half-hearted relationship with Jesus. You won't have that kind of life if you're adding Jesus as a patch into your old clothes. It won't work. It doesn't happen. He seeks wholehearted relationships. Disciples who are all in. And he doesn't like half-hearted relationships. And that's what he's trying to communicate to us. He says, hey, you can't patch old clothes with a new patch. It doesn't work. Unless you ride a Harley. It doesn't work, he says. It'll pull. It'll rip the, the, the fabric. It'll make everything worse. And you know what? Neither can we add a patch of Jesus to our life. It just doesn't work. When we try, we see the pool and we see the, the tear. Hey, you want to come to the bar with me after work? It's going to be amazing. We're going to drink way too much. We're going to party. We're going to go womanizing. We're going to go manizing or whatever you guys do. I don't know. And what happens? You feel this tear. And you go, and you're there, and the Holy Spirit's saying, what are you doing here? You're like, I know. And it's like a tear in the patch, and you feel the tear, don't you? You can't add Jesus to, to, to your existing life. He's got to be a brand new life. And there you are, torn. Your friends are pulling you one way. Jesus is pulling you another way, and it just doesn't work. You're getting high on Friday, and you're coming to church on Sunday, and you're torn. It just doesn't work. And I tell you, no one is more miserable, miserable than a Christian who is living a patched up Christian life, 
halfway in the world, halfway in Jesus. It's the most miserable life you can live. And that's why John's disciples were so miserable. That's why the Pharisees were so miserable. You read about them all the time. They're just like complaining. There's always a problem. They're trying to be married to Jesus and they're still trying to live their old life, being in control of their own life. And Jesus said it this way. He said, no one can serve two masters. Why? Tell me why, if you know. Let me hear you out loud. You'll love the one and not the other. It'll always be this pull. You'll have one trying to tell you. I pull you this way and another pull you this way. You just can't do it. Jesus wants all of our heart. He wants a wholehearted relationship. When we try to put new wine, that's Jesus, into old wineskins, the old wineskins are our self-directed life. Jesus says both are ruined and both perish. But if we put the new wine in a new wineskin, now we're really cooking. If we put Jesus and we say, Jesus, now my life is yours and I just want to do life your way. And, and when we mess up, we just get right back on track. We say, Lord, please forgive me. I messed up last night. I, I went and did this. And Lord, now I just want to get right back on track. Hey, that's a great life, man. That's new wine and a new wine skin. And he says both are preserved. What happens when we add Jesus to our life? is we really aren't able to allow the Holy Spirit to lead us. We quench the Holy Spirit. We're not flexible. He's trying to change us, but we still do things our old way. And I tell you, it's a sad thing when you see it. I see people who are old wineskins, like John's disciples, they're religious. They're religious. they They think they're there. But they're still trying to do it in their own strength, in their own way. And uh, it's always a pull against uh, what the, the Spirit wants to do in our life. There's always that pull. And it's, it's, it's tough. It's a tough way to go. It's not a fun way to live. When Jesus has our heart, we are flexible to his leading. When he tells us, hey, hey you need to apologize. We apologize. We're flexible. When we're an old wineskin, we say, he'll say, hey, you need to apologize. And say, well, I'm not going to apologize. Not until they apologize to me. Did you see what they did? And we, and we just, and it's that pulling of the cloth. And now both are made worse. And so may we pay attention. May we hold on. May we really understand uh, what Jesus is trying to say in this passage. I spent a lot of time here on this because it's an important message for us. You know what I know? There's some old wineskins among us. There's some patch cloth among us. I'm prone to do it myself. And we've got we've to realize what Jesus is saying. We can't, cha- we can't add him to our life. He's got to be our life. And here's what's really cool. We'll go faster in this next section. Um, we left off at verse 18. And here's what's really cool. When we are that, when we are following Jesus... Uh, we will see his power at work in our lives in powerful and majestic ways when we are just uh, not adding him to our life, but having him be our life. Look at verse 18. Actually, I'm going to do something if you don't mind. Uh, This passage here in verse 18 is also uh, given to us in Mark's gospel in chapter chapter 5. And I think it's a little richer in Mark chapter 5. So let's flip over there. Mark chapter 5. Uh, verse 21, 
And let's pick it up there. Same exact story, just a little more detail that Mark gives us. Mark 5, 21. Love seeing your Bible pages turning. When you're there, give me a big amen. All right, that's most of us. Matthew, excuse me, Mark 5, 21. When Jesus had crossed over again, that's the Sea of Galilee, going back to Capernaum like we looked at a couple weeks ago. Uh, a great multitude gathered to him, and he was by the sea. And behold, one of the rulers of a synagogue came. His name was Jairus by name. And when he saw him, when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. Jairus, by the way, his name means God enlightens. God enlightens. He's a ruler of a synagogue. He's, he's not a follower of Jesus yet. Uh, he's a ruler of a synagogue, it says. And look what it says. Verse 23. And he begged him, he begged Jesus earnestly, saying, My little daughter lies at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her, that she may be healed, and she will live. And here this, this religious leader, this ruler of the synagogue, he risks everything coming to Jesus. And look what happens. And so Jesus says to him, and a great, excuse me, Jesus went with him and a great multitude followed him and thronged him. Uh, interesting what happens here. Uh, again, Jairus, a ruler of a synagogue, what does that mean? Well, it means he has close ties with the Pharisees. It means he's in the same camp with them. He's probably been pressured by the Pharisees to speak against Jesus. And he probably has spoken against Jesus on numerous occasions. He's not one of us. Don't follow him. Don't go after him. That's a bad ministry over there. Don't. But now something happens. The apple of his eye. His daughter. We're going to learn she's 12 years old. Is at the point of death. And Jairus, he's been preaching against Jesus, but he's heard about Jesus. He's seen the miracles of Jesus. He's heard the teachings of Jesus. And he's watched multitudes go and follow Jesus. But he's remained an old wineskin, rigid and unchanging. And now he has a choice. Am I going to remain this way? Or am I going to follow? And God does something very interesting uh, his daughter, the apple of his eye, now at the point of death, now under pain, pain, Jairus is reconsidering everything. Pain has an interesting way of doing that in our life. Pain is sometimes the only thing that will get us to yield our life to God's leading. I want you to know this, no doubt about it, the Holy Spirit had been leading Jairus all this time saying, Jesus is the Messiah. I know he's not the one you expected, but he is the Messiah. How do you explain these teachings? How do you explain these miracles? Life profound giving words. I just, Holy Spirit's been speaking to, to Jairus, but what's he been doing? Digging in his heels on what he thought was his way. What is he? He's an old what? He's an old wineskin. And now pain is causing him to think about things he normally wouldn't think about. Now his 12-year-old daughter is dying and Jairus softens his heart to the Holy Spirit's prompting. 
And he comes to Jesus. And he risks everything. He knows that in going to Jesus, he's now no longer going to be a ruler of the synagogue. That's going to go away. He risks everything. And you know what I find amazing? Is what does Jesus say to him? Jesus says, okay, I'll go to your house and I'll heal your daughter. Amazing. The one who's been speaking against you? You know what I would have said if I was Jesus? Oh, now you want my help. Yeah, sure, after you said all these bad things about me and made jokes about the mission church and mocked my ministry and everything else, now you want my help. Yeah, sure. All right, well, I'll come. But, you know, Jesus doesn't do any of that. Look what he does. Even though he's been mocked, spit on, and ridiculed, he just says, oh, I care about you. I care about your daughter. I'll go. The Bible says if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us of our unrighteousness. But if you don't think you're sinning, you deceive yourself and the truth is not in us. And Jesus goes, he just goes, and it's just amazing. But as he goes to heal Jairus' daughter, he gets interrupted. Look what happens in verse 24. So Jesus went with him, and a great multitude followed him and thronged him. And now a certain woman who had a flow of blood for 12 years. Think about how long 12 years is. What were you doing 12 years ago? Yeah, you got to think back. That's a good chunk of time. This woman has been sick for 12 years. Look at verse 26. And she had suffered many things from many physicians. She had spent all that she had and was no better but rather grew worse. It's, it's interesting how nothing changed in 2,000 years. You go to the doctor and they don't treat you right, they still get paid. I've never understood that. You go to the car mechanic, you fix your car, it's not fixed right. No, no, you bring the car back, he's got to fix it for free. You go to the doctor and that happens, they charge you again the second time. It's like crazy, right? Nothing's changed in 2,000 years. She's been sick for 12 years, gone to all these doctors, and she's... Sorry if you're a doctor, I'm sorry, but I'm just... And she spent all the money that she has. And what does it say? Has she gotten any better? What does it say? She's grown worse. You know what this is a picture of? This is a picture of self-help programs. Nothing wrong with going to a doctor, by the way. Jesus said, hey, you know, I, I didn't come to call the righteous, but the sick. The, 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 the sick need a doctor. I'm the doctor, right? Nothing wrong with going to a doctor, Right? Uh, but here's what here this is a picture of self-help it just doesn't work self-help without Jesus is no help and she's gone through everything and now she's broke she doesn't have any money and here's something that's really sad she has an issue of blood and in Leviticus 15 it tells us that you were called unclean she couldn't even be around people the religious people of Judaism they wouldn't touch her she couldn't sit on a, on a furniture. She couldn't touch. Anything she touched would be unclean. So she's been ostracized for 12 years. Think how hard that would be. An outcast, man. An untouchable for 12 years. Broke now. No money. You've spent everything. And look at this. She heard about Jesus. Verse 27. She heard about Jesus and came behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if I may only touch his clothes, I will be made well. Wow, that's amazing. Zero theology in this, by the way. Nothing biblical about touching his clothes. 
There is something in there about having a blue thread in the hem of your garment. That was just to remind you to, that you're a child of God and you're to follow him and obey him when temptation comes your way. But there's nothing special about Jesus' clothes. She just says, I need to get close to Jesus. I know my answer is Jesus. I've tried everything. I want you to know something. This is what a picture of a new wineskin looks like. I'll press through anything. It's Jesus I need. He's the one I want. That's a picture of a new wineskin. That's what she is. Uh, let's go on. Verse 29. Read the first word of verse 29 for me. Immediately. The fountain of her blood was dried up. Sounds gross, doesn't it? Immediately the fountain of her blood was dried up. And she felt in her body that she was healed of the affliction. Amazing. Twelve years of sickness. Think how anemic she would be. And suddenly strength comes back into her. Verse 30. Fascinating. And Jesus immediately knowing in himself that power had gone out from him turned around in the crowd and said, who touched my clothes? This makes, this is really interesting. This is fascinating to me. This is an extraordinary miracle. Do you know why? Because of no conscious effort of Jesus whatsoever, without any consciousness of Jesus, he heals her. Interesting. And he says, who touched my clothes? And look at this. When he said that, no one says anything. Everybody's quiet. A little bit of time goes by. Verse 31, his disciples said to him, you see the multitude thronging you? I mean, do you see all the people around you and you asked who touched you? The implication is they're saying, Jesus, who didn't touch you? There's tens of thousands of people here. We got, we're trying to fight back the crowds. Everyone touched you. And Jesus, he looked around and look at this. He looked around to see her who had done this thing. That means that Jesus knew who touched her. He looked around to see her who had done this thing. But the woman, fearing and trembling, knowing what had happened to her, that she had been healed, came and fell down before him and told him the truth. Question for you. What is Jesus doing? Here's this woman She's been ostracized. She's been an outcast all this time. And you know what? Sin leaves a mark on us. She has mental problems now. She's got personality problems now. She doesn't know how to be in a relationship now. And you know what Jesus is doing? Jesus is healing her not only physically but also what? Mentally, emotionally. And he's drawing her out of her shell. Wait a minute. Stop everything. What, what, what? Someone touched me. Everyone touched you. What are you? No, 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 no. I felt virtue is the Greek word come out of me. Who did it? And no one says anything. And he looks around. And he looks around. And no one's saying anything. And he says, Who touched me? Wow. Amazing. Amazing. Looks her right in the eyes and say, who touched me? And she, trembling, comes to him and says, it was me. And she's trembling in fear because she's an outcast. She's dirty. She's been told she's unclean for 12 years. No relationships, no love, no nothing. And Jesus comes to her and 
these words. Oh my gosh, just amazing. Verse 34, she thinks she's going to get chewed out. She thinks God is harsh. She thinks religious leaders are mean. Verse 34, and he said to her, daughter. Very tender word in the Greek, by the way. Very tender word, like a young little daughter. Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your affliction. Wow, so incredible, so amazing. And Jesus gives her life. You're valuable. You belong to me. You're my daughter. I created you. Oh, intimacy. And what is he doing? He healed her physically, and he's healing her spiritually. He's healing her mentally. He's healing her socially. He wants to heal all of us, church. That's what he does. That's why he speaks. And so some interesting things. Uh, Poor Jairus, he's here and he's like, yeah, what about my daughter, right? Uh, How much time do we have? Do I have time to go on? What time am I supposed to stop? Um, let's, let's Let's see if we can cover a little bit more ground. Verse 35. You guys good for a little bit more? Is this interesting? Yeah? Tracking? You want to leave right now? You can. Donuts are over there. Verse 35. While he was still speaking. Oh, no, that's the wrong spot. Where am I? Yeah, verse 35. While he was still speaking, some came from the ruler of the synagogue's house, from Jairus' house. And they said to him, everybody say these words. Your daughter is dead. What do you think is going on in Jairus' heart right now? He's like, oh man, the stinking woman with the issue of blood. I mean, she just took so much time and oh. And I imagine, oh, his heart begins to break. Probably huge tears coming to his face right at this moment, man. Uh, Hey, think about it. I know I have one daughter. And if I know anything about a 12-year-old daughter in your house... All the life they bring. The joy they bring. I used to love coming through the front door. Daddy's home! And just, oh, I mean, couldn't even make five steps in. And they'd be running and grabbing on me. Oh, amazing. Now he loses that. I can't even imagine the heartbreak he must be going through. Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher? Why trouble Jesus any further? And as soon as Jesus heard the word that was spoken, he said to the ruler of God, Hey, 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 don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Only believe. What a great word. Jesus takes him, focus off of all the problems, eyes on me, eyes on me, Jesus says. Don't be afraid. Only believe. If you read Matthew's gospel, I think this is where Matthew picks up. And Matthew says, Jairus said, well, I believe that if you come to her, you can raise her from the dead. Amazing. Amazing. Verse 36. As soon as Jesus, oh no, verse 37. And he permitted no one to follow follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. So they go to his house 
And uh, Jesus said, hey, no, just Peter, James, and John. Uh, Jesus often took these three guys by his side, kept them close. He was really grooming them. Uh, Verse 38. Then he came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, and he saw a tumult. And those who wept and wailed loudly. Yeah, they were all outside crying. Uh, They would actually have uh, mourners who kind of communicated the message. Uh, They didn't have Instagram and they didn't have Facebook. And uh, that's how they would kind of say a funeral service was happening. Uh, And they were all out there wailing and weeping loudly. Verse 39. And when he came in, he said to them, Why make this commotion and weep? Why are you all crying? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they ridiculed him. Are you kidding me? What do you think? We're stupid? Uh, I mean, they just, they, you know, mocked him, ridiculed him. Now look what he does. And when he had put them all out of the house, all outside, he takes them out and says, hey, everybody out, everybody out. All the mockers, all outside. He takes the father and the mother of the child and those who are with him, that's Peter, James, and John, And he enters the house where the child was lying. Then he took the child by the hand and he said to her, Talithi kumai, which is translated, little girl, arise. You can scratch out the words I say to you. That's not what it's translated. It's translated, little girl, arise. Two words, three words, little girl, arise. Amazing. And immediately the girl arose and walked, for she was 12 years of age, and they were overcome with great amazement and joy. But he commanded them that they should, that no one should know of it, and he said, Give her something to eat. Awesome. Hey, she looks hungry. Feed her. Really cool. Imagine the joy of this family. Imagine the joy of this father. Imagine the joy of no longer being an old wineskin, but now being a fresh wineskin, following Jesus and watching him do amazing things in our life, through our life. This is our life. This is our walk with him. And this is what he does. And it is glorious. It's glorious. And in Matthew's gospel here, this is the eighth miracle in the book of Matthew. And what's happening, if you go back and look at the eight miracles, you might want to go back in Matthew and number them. You're going to see something interesting. He starts with healing a leper. The Messiah curing leprosy. Amazing. Yeah, that was prophesied. And each one progresses. He then uh, heals all kinds of sick people. He's got power to heal lepers. He's got power to heal the sick. He commands nature. He calms the storm. He's got power over the, the natural world. And they all marveled. Who is this Messiah that has power even to calm the, calm the winds and the, the waves? Just amazing. Calm the storm. Then he lands the boat and he comes to the demoniac. And this guy filled with hundreds of demons. And with the word he casts them out. And he shows that he has power not over the physical world, but power over the spiritual world, power over Satan. 
And now what does he show? The next miracle? He has power to do what? To raise the dead back to life. Very systematic, very purposeful, teaching us who he is. Great study. Just a great study. Let's wrap up with this. We, like that woman, have an issue of blood. You know what our issue with blood is? We've had it for a lot of years. You know what it is? Our blood is tainted. What's it tainted with? Sin. We have an issue of blood. And it's terminal, man. And we can spend all of our time, all of our effort, all of our money on health and wellness, and it will still be terminal. You'll only grow worse. Or you can come to Jesus, but you've got to die first. You've got to say, okay, I surrender control. No more old wineskin. I'm doing it your way, Lord. I can't add you to my life. I would like to add you to my life. I'll go to church on Sunday. Okay, I'll go to church on Sunday. I'll have a little patch for Sunday. I'll give you the Sunday patch right here on my pants. No, 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 no. Doesn't work that way. Whole new deal. Whole new deal. Are you in? Are you in? This is what it means to walk with him. His love for us is radical. And may we give him all of our heart. He has the power to heal anything in our life. And to raise us from the dead. And he does so to all who call upon him. You may freely share this message with others as long as you don't charge for it. Support for these broadcasts comes from your generous donations that allow us to give away our materials for free. To participate with us, please visit our website at themissionchurch.net. God bless.